It's hard to convey to people like how difficult that situation has been. And one of the more painful things about it is when you consider that that's 10 years of all my productivity. You know, every money that I've earned, every business project that I've worked on, every bit of capital I've accumulated got wiped out. My dad just said one word. He's sitting at his laptop and he just says, fuck, yeah, I've, I've, I've been hacked. And that's when it hits you like a ton of bricks. So when I heard about your story, my main concern, holy shit, man, I I better call this guy before he does something he's going to regret. Don't do what I did. Make this investment before you get hilariously rich. Before we get into how he lost this 25 Bitcoin, um, Rick, before we get into that, I want to know, like, why did you came into Bitcoin in the first place? Uh, when did you came into the space? Uh, what was the journey as a Bitcoiner? before this all happened sure uh so yeah i mean we we were fortunate we got into bitcoin like really really early you know we were sort of looking at it around late 2012 and we first started buying it in 2013 um what was interesting about that i think is is just how early we were in terms of like we didn't dismiss it straight away like a lot of people um and we actually as soon as we found it we just dove right into it you know with both feet um, the main reason that we discovered it at all and, and, and got so interested in it is because, um, well, my, my dad is like, uh, I guess you would say he's a, a seriously based person. Um, what I mean by that is like long before Bitcoin even existed, even when I was a young boy, he would sort of sit me down and explain to me uh, the problems associated with central banking. He would explain the fractional reserve banking scam uh, and how they create money out of thin air. So before he saw the solution, which is Bitcoin, he was already hyper aware of the problem. So, you know, I wouldn't say he was a gold bug, but he would be attracted to hard assets and, and things like that. And he understood the game as, as the bankers were playing it. Um, so, you know, I guess I guess you could say we're, we're pretty distrustful of authority already and, and we're that way inclined. And yeah, I mean, I have a lot to, to thank my dad for, right? Like he really drilled it into me that you, you, you should think critically for yourself and you shouldn't just follow the herd because, you know, that, that often doesn't lead you to, to the right destination and that sort of thing. So I guess we were in the right place at the right time and um you know combine that with the fact that my dad's uh, been a developer for 50 odd years you know he started off uh working on like ibm 360 assembler you know went through most popular programming languages like c plus plus and he now plays with like node.js and docker and stuff even today so you know he, he's very software minded right uh and and very talented technically so uh, and at the same time, I was going through university and, uh, you know, uh, had quite a lot of modules about economics uh, and this sort of thing. So I had a, I had an interest in economics anyway. Um, so I guess if you kind of draw this Venn diagram of, of technology meeting economics, when we found it, we just got really obsessed and, and really excited by it. And I think another thing that really benefited us as well is back then, uh, there was only Bitcoin, right? Like we were, we were fascinated with Bitcoin before Ethereum even launched. And we really benefited from that because compared to someone entering the, the, the sort of space now, there wasn't all these distractions. There weren't all these thousands of, of shit coins. There weren't NFTs. There weren't these like yield farming things where, you know, you try and earn yield on your Bitcoin. So what that meant was it was really quiet. And you could just focus on Bitcoin itself and really go deep and understand how it works and what it means. Um, so, yeah, after discovering it, you know, for the next few months, every time I'd get back from work and stuff like that, me and my dad would spend literally hours on the phone every night talking about like, what does this mean? What, what is the future? What is this? What is that? You know, falling all over ourselves. Um, and like I say, discovering it so early was, was beneficial for the rest of our experience in Bitcoin because we had enough time to learn what Bitcoin was all about before, say, Ethereum launched. So then when Ethereum launched and, you know, it didn't have this immaculate conception that Bitcoin had, you know, it had quite clearly a founder who then went and raised a load of VC monies through, through an ICO. 
And so instantly we looked at Ethereum and thought, well, this is kind of this is kind of the antithesis of Bitcoin. Um, so we were lucky we never got dragged into those problems, which is is one of the reasons I think we managed to hold the Bitcoin for so long for 10 years, because we could recognize through our understanding of Bitcoin that the other things being brought to market were quite clearly scams, you know, uh, poorly designed at best and, and outright scams at worst, you know. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of how we got into it. Yeah. And uh, when you now take us to the moment where you first uh, realized that you might have lost uh, all this Bitcoin you saved up for so long, how was that? Like, how did, where uh, did you were, uh, what happened, what's the story about? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty harrowing story, you know, so um, it's hard to convey to people like how, how, how difficult that situation has been because what i want to get across to people is you know i'm a i'm a fully paid up bitcoiner so bitcoin is where i was storing my wealth right i would never sit on big piles of fiat money because why would i want to hold a a, a currency that's just you know evaporating essentially so you know it's it's a it's a real heavy loss that we took and and one of the more painful things about it is when you consider that that's 10 years of all my productivity You know, every money that I've earned, every business project that I've I've worked on, every bit of capital I've accumulated got wiped out. So, yeah, it sucked a big one. Um, but let me explain sort of how it happened. Right. So the, the, the short version of that story is that, well, even more crushing is after 10 years, me and my dad decide, right we want to go and check out El Salvador and see what's going on over there. Because, you know, after 10 years of pontificating about what a Bitcoin standard might mean for society in the world, we're super excited to go and see what's happening on the ground in El Salvador. Um, and I mean, you couldn't write it, man. We'd, we'd been to adopting BTC conference for three days. And on the last day, we come back to our uh, apartment in San Salvador, right? And uh, we've been listening to all these amazing talks and we're all pumped up and excited. And for the last few months, my dad and I have actually been working on developing a, a Bitcoin related app that runs using the Lightning Network for payments. Uh, and because we were so excited and fired up, we thought, uh, oh, you know, let's go and play with it. We're, we're, we're all enthusiastic. Now, to go and play with it and test it, one of the things we had to do was fund a Lightning channel. So... My dad goes to his laptop in the flat uh, that we rented and he says, right, I'm going to transfer some funds across. And this is the really visceral bit that I'll never forget is, uh, I mean, Robin, I don't know if I can swear on your podcast, <laughs> um, but the, the go next, ahead, go ahead. <laughs> well, my dad just said one word. He's sitting at his laptop and he just says, fuck and nothing else. And, you know, I'm, I think this is quite innocuous at first. I say, oh, you know, what's up? Uh, maybe his laptop's died or he's stubbed his toe or I, I don't know. And then he says, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've been hacked. And man, I, it's so hard to describe that feeling because, you know, first of all, you have this huge rush of sort of cortisol, adrenaline, um, you know, your fight or flight response sort of kicks in. My whole body's shaking. You know, I'm pacing up and down just... A million thoughts all at once uh, is, is the best way to describe it. You know, I, I've planned, like, I had a lot of plans for what I was going to do with that capital and how it was going to change my life, my family's life. You know, I take care of my parents, I, you know, lots of things. And you start realizing very quickly, oh, like all of those plans are, are kind of ripped up to shreds now. And that, that, that's, that's, that's pretty tough. So the next part of the story is, uh that you know you start then bargaining so my dad had actually bought a new laptop like a couple of months prior and during that like he runs a few businesses currently um and i he remembers that he moved some files around and did some reorganization so for a brief moment he says uh Uh, do you know what? Maybe I maybe I transferred to a different address, or you know, maybe I'm looking at the wrong wallet. You know, maybe this is just maybe this isn't real. And so off he goes trying to explore that. And uh, at this point, my brain had slowed down just enough for me to say, "Hey, Dad, uh, 
send me the transaction IDs of the funds leaving the wallet so I can go and have a look. And I go to mempool.space, I chuck in a couple of the transaction IDs, and that's when it hits you like a ton of bricks because now I can see, you know, payments of three Bitcoin going off here, four Bitcoin going off there, and then it going on and on and on through multiple addresses to the point where we, you know, it wasn't us. Like we, we definitely didn't send these transactions and yeah, it is real. And yeah, that Bitcoin is now an address that we don't control. So that was the experience of finding out and man it's it's bizarre like 10 years you go on this pilgrimage to el salvador you're you're on this trip of a lifetime with your dad you know getting to spend time with your dad on on something passion a passion that you both love it was wild um you know there's there's no other way to describe it but uh yeah that's that's the process of us finding out what was the reaction of the community? Did you were at the Bitcoin conference also afterwards? Did you speak with people in person? How was the reaction when you posted everything on, on X or Twitter? I, I mean, yeah, you know, it's funny to me, like Bitcoiners often get this sort of, oh, they're toxic, they're this, they're that, the other. But for anyone who's been around long enough, they know that you scratch the surface of, of Bitcoin culture. And what you find in the middle is just an army of really wonderful, friendly, supportive, uh, and also extremely talented people. Um, so I couldn't tell you what made me decide to post it to, to, to Twitter, right? Because I'm not, I'm not, I don't post a lot or I didn't used to post a lot on, on social media. Um, cause I'm quite a private guy, you know, I was busy living my life. I, I, you know, social media can be a bit of an angry place, right? So, so I try and stay, stay offline if I can. Um, but I, I felt like I posted it because it was just me and my dad trapped in this bubble in a foreign country miles away from home. And no one else is going to understand this situation like the Bitcoin community. So I took a random decision, like I'll, I'll post about it. And, and I mean, it went crazy, man. Like, I, you know, I've never gone viral before, but, you know, three million, four million views later, uh, my phone like just exploding. Um, and I, and I have a huge thanks, actually, I need to give out to the whole community. Uh, I'm so incredibly grateful. Uh, I'm not going to shout everyone out because a lot of people wanted to stay anonymous who reached out and DM'd and, and gave us information. But, you know, there's a few standouts. So like the guys at Samurai Wallet, they have the the research arm uh so ergo btc on twitter um you know these galaxy brain guys you know through just took their own time their own effort they're they're helping us track the transactions through the blockchain they're sending me graphs that show like where it's gone where it's been mixed where some of it might have interacted with kyc exchanges um I, you know, and in my DMs, man, you know, I had some of the most influential sort of people in, in, in the Bitcoin space, which, oh, man, you know, I'd love to go into a conversation with some of these guys under better circumstances, right? Um, but, you know, the fact that they reached out and they're just so lovely, I, I don't know how I would have felt if I hadn't have done that. But I really do believe that the Bitcoin community kind of lifted me out of 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 the potentially very dark hole. And uh, you know what? It was as upsetting as it is to lose the money. The thing that choked me up the most when I was out there was this flood of support. I've never really been on the receiving end of something so just a tidal wave of, of positivity like that. And it really hits you in the feels, man. Like it's, it's kind of wild. So, yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't have half an idea really of what happened, where we went wrong. Or, or anything, and I wouldn't have been able to put a case together for the authorities and, and to effectively speak to exchanges and the things I needed to do next if the Bitcoin community hadn't rallied around me. And, and, and it's truly something I'll never forget. Um, and one guy in the DMs who, who oh man, he's, he stayed up like all night to talk to me and, and we talked about life, philosophy, politics, and, and all this stuff. And he just said, look, just make sure that you pay this forward, right? Like this story, should be shared and other people should be aware of what happened to you because it will save some other people so i feel like i owe the community at least that much so hey man i'm not gonna lie it's pretty embarrassing to come out and talk about our seed phrases being stored in the cloud and all this stuff but hey look if it saves someone else it's the right thing to do 
And this was the moment when also the Bitcoin way uh, reached out to you. We can help. I mean, the app completely scrambled eggs for brains. Um, and Tony's just running us through, you know, he's just asking us the basic questions like, you know, can people get access to your machine? Let's try and figure out if it could be someone, you know, or, you know, uh, have you run any scans for malware? Do you think there could have been keyloggers involved? Where were the seeds stored so that Did at least we could narrow down what we think might have happened and how we might progress? Uh, we did not hear you for uh, a little while, uh, Rick, for like, like a second. But, uh, Sorry, but can I you hear me that, now? Uh, yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah. Um, I like that okay. Tony uh, and, and the Bitcoin way reached out and so many other people in the Bitcoin community reached out. And and I saw also one tweet of yours uh, where you uh, t told a story when you come back from uh, to, to Scotland and your uh, your girlfriend picked you up and you said something like that you feel like the luckiest man alive did anything uh like did this hack besides your knowledge and besides maybe your mission did anything uh did you learn anything more from from that oh yeah i mean you know it's crazy it's crazy the amount of thoughts i've had about life and bitcoin and just everything since you know I think what's important to point out is I'm not really a very money motivated person, uh, but the thing that motivates me most in life is freedom. Uh, and Bitcoin was my route to achieve that, that freedom uh, and that sort of self-sovereignty, right? So, you know, on the one hand, I'm thankful that, you know, I've been around long enough to know that it's still pretty spectacularly early. Um, you know, I, one thing I can relate to people is like every cycle, I've thought this is the time when everyone's going to figure it out. It's going to go completely mainstream. All the shit coins will die. All the blockchain bozos will die. Um, and every single time I, I've been wrong about that. And I think we're probably further away from hyper Bitcoinization than, than people probably realize. I think this is a, this is a long fight, right? Like the US dollar is not going anywhere in the next five years, in my opinion. I think we'll continue to win the fight, but ultimately I still think, you know, I'm going to be ahead of 90% of the population in this. So if my goal is freedom rather than money, I still feel like that's achievable for me and something that I can pursue. So it's worth getting back up and getting back on the horse and, and continuing. And, uh, yeah, big shout out to my fiance, right? Like, um, well, first of all, the wedding next year is still going ahead, uh, which is great, uh, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, she, she is here for the revolution, not the money. So she's a really good egg. You know, I'm really lucky there. And, uh, I have a roof over my head. I have food in my belly. Um, you know, we're driving around El Salvador and, you know, there's, there's people who are far, far, far worse off on this planet than I am. And it wouldn't be acceptable for me to just play the victim forever and feel really bad for myself because I have it very, very good. Um, you know, in, in grand, in the grand scheme of things. And, and I wasn't raised like that. Right. So, so I'm not going to tell you it doesn't sting. I'm not going to tell you that some days I'm not pretty pissed off at the world and, and pretty, pretty, pretty upset. But, uh, but by and large, you know, already on the path to, 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 to getting to a better place and, and trying to use it to get stronger, you know, what else can you do? That's, that's beautiful. Um, maybe also together, maybe with Tony, um, what exactly happened? Uh, what, what was the mistake for people that maybe didn't, uh, don't know the story? Um, and how can everybody that is listening, avoiding this and what are the lessons on a, on a self custodial, uh, side of things, uh, for, for someone that is now a little bit afraid, okay, I might, um, lose my Bitcoin. How can I make sure that I don't lose my Bitcoin? How can I make sure that I don't, I'm not hacked? Well, I think what I can probably do is, is take us like step by step of what happened. And then between each step, Tony can say, and this is what we should have done, right? That might be an interesting way to do it. Um, the first thing I really want to point out before we even get into our setup is understand. I want people to understand that we held this Bitcoin for 10 years. Now, over that 10-year span, we could have lost that Bitcoin 100 times over. The main reason that we didn't lose that Bitcoin is because we self-custodied it. 
you know, there's a lot of famous exchanges that have blown up so many in that 10 years that I couldn't list them all, you know, so leave if we'd ever left our Bitcoin with a custodian, there is like a 100% chance that we would have lost it. So the first thing I want people to get is do do the self custody, just do it better than we did. So then, you know, let, let's move on. I think at the, the, the place to start is KYC. Right. I'll get to the mistakes we made later because we, we definitely made some clangers of mistakes. But where we think the story starts is with KYC. So uh, we found out later when we're working with the authorities that my dad's name and details were stolen during the Mt. Gox hack because we were using that as our very first exchange. So when that exchange was hacked, the hackers must have also been able to access all of the customer information, which would have included things like the name, uh, the amount of Bitcoin purchased, the addresses and transactions of that Bitcoin leaving the exchange and what addresses they went to and all of this, right? So I don't think that we were hacked randomly and that some random hacker just hit the jackpot by finding us. I think it's actually far more likely that they were aware that we held a lot of Bitcoin and that they came after us specifically. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I think totally differently about KYC now because whilst it was a digital attack this time, it could have very easily been a physical group of people showing up at my dad's house when I live miles away and doing something much scarier than just stealing our money. So KYC now, I knew it was a problem, right? I knew it was a problem, but I didn't sit and think this through enough. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe Tony there can sort of elaborate on, on you know, the problems with KYC and, and what approach people can take to, to sort of protect themselves from that. Yeah, I mean, KYC, you know, most people have bought their Bitcoin via KYC, the traditional, you know, know your customer procedure that, you know, you, you've known your whole life would come with anything relating to money and banks. You know, you have to provide all sorts of identification and answer all sorts of, you know, silly questions pertaining to your source of funds and what have you. Now, all this is being marketed, obviously, as for your own protection and protection of your funds and to protect against, you know, terrorism and money laundering and all that rubbish. But if it essentially has nothing to do with any of this. All of this are just elaborate surveillance and control tools in order to keep an eye out on every transaction from every individual, no matter where you are around, you know, around the planet. That's what it's for. Now, it may have been fine in the traditional financial system because, you know, it was designed by the same people who designed this rigged Ponzi to begin with. But when you have a new asset like Bitcoin, something that we've never seen, the world has never seen, you know, an appreciating asset, an asset that has a finite supply, an asset that will always go up in value, no matter no matter what. And that more importantly, nobody can manipulate, you know, and, and mess around with. Well, then, you know, when people when more people start to understand how precious and valuable that is, well, you know, they start this, you know, the attention, the eyes open up wider, you know, upon this. And what's the easiest way to get a hold of it if you don't have it? Well, it's to steal it, right? And so, you know, some people are, you know, they, uh, they fear monger about physical attacks. And while, yes, technically that is possible, I don't believe physical attacks are going to be your biggest uh, concern. The, big, the most efficient way to steal something that, that's online to begin with is online via, you know, cyber attacks, phishing scams, things of that nature. And this is where I genuinely believe, you know, we'll start seeing more prevalent cases pop up of, you know, scenarios of somebody losing their coins because of X, Y, or Z. And it's most likely going to be due to an online problem that took place. So protecting yourself, you know, from KYC is essentially eliminating that target that's painted on your back. Because, you know, if, if a hacker wants to find out who owns Bitcoin, well, you know, there's so many honeypots now, all these exchanges, these databases of everyone that's purchased the, the coins from there. They just have to target them. It's, it's not that hard. And as we've seen in the past three years, there's been many stories of data leak here, data leak there, you know, like, uh, and most of these leaks can be easily avoided, but you're assuming that the people in charge of these companies, of these institutions are actually doing their job, you know, are actually taking the, the security of that data, you know, properly, but, the, but most of them aren't. 
which is why these these leaks seem so casually done. You know, this this is what's scary. And if your name is on a list, you know, whoever hacked that database, that's not an idiot. This is a someone or a, or a group of people that know exactly what they're after. And so if your name is on a list, you potentially have a problem because if somebody decides to target you for whatever reason, you better have a plan to deal with it, whether, whether it's physically, you know, if it shows up at your front door or otherwise. Now, physically, you know, that's, that's, that's one conversation, but the more efficient way is to protect yourself online to begin with. And that, and that begins by education. You know, there's a lot of information that a lot of people don't know yet, you know, and it requires a certain amount of discipline to sit down, learn, pay attention, but more importantly, follow through, you know, certain guidelines repeatedly so that you don't make a mistake. It's almost like a workout, you know, like a mental workout, because now you're assuming responsibility of your money, something you've never, ever had to do before. And you're going to want to do it because this is your generational wealth. This is not a debasing currency that is manipulated by a group of thieves. You know, this is an actual asset that for the first time in history, anyone can own 100%. And so you're going to want to guard it with your life because it's going to become the most important thing you own. So there's no joking around here. There's no being complacent. There's no being lazy, taking shortcuts. You know, if you're serious about protecting your savings, you know, your heritage, your legacy, especially if you have kids down the line, you know, you need to do what you have to do. And that's being responsible. But again, you know, it's, it's a learning curve. It's not something, you know, that people are going to, you know, go from zero to a hundred with overnight. It's a progress. You don't need to go to, from zero to a hundred instantly, but you need to accept that this is something that you need. It's, it's the key to your freedom. It's the key to living with any form of dignity for you, your family going forward so that you're not um, subservient to a bunch of people that hate you, you know, that put you through living conditions that, you know, you wouldn't wish on your, on your worst enemy. So that's the danger of KYC. And thankfully there are ways to, to deal with it. One of the most commonly known ones are the, are coin joints where basically it gives you forward privacy from the moment you engage in that coin joint. It's like, uh, think of it as like you take out money from an ATM, you know, the bank knows you took out, you know, whatever you took out, but has no idea what you spent it on. So the coin joint essentially does the same thing for your Bitcoin. The, you know, the, the exchange knows you bought X amount, but then what happened to it? God knows. So if you say you lost it somewhere, well, then, you know, it's going to be very hard to prove that you didn't lose it because the connection between you and these coins is, is severed at that point. So that's just one way, but other there's many other ways to deal with this, but you know, that's, that's a very long conversation, but for now, you know, like we'll stick to the most commonly known ones. Yeah. And, and you know what, that's something that, that me and my dad just privacy, we'd not taken seriously enough. Like it, when, when Mount Gox was hacked, we never sat and thought, Oh, I wonder if they got any of our personal information. It didn't even cross our minds. We were just happy that we were smart enough to self custody to not lose the corn. Right. Um, so the, the kind of things I'm thinking of now is like, actually, you know, my data, it could get leaked. It, it, you know, let's say I buy a hardware wallet from a manufacturer. Okay. They're a honeypot. They, their details might get leaked, but let's say someone, some attacker has my details from Mount Gox right knows i own some bitcoin and wants some more details about me like my address or something well you know anywhere that i've put my data on the internet whether i'm ordering a pair of socks from a supermarket or whatever i'm giving out this information everywhere so one of the the simple things that i'm doing which is easy and, and not technical is now i've set up a po box so all of my posts no 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 post comes to my house i never give out my address anymore um, and the second thing is stop using the same email address with my name on it for everything, right? Start setting up like remailers and, and different emails and give different emails or even temporary emails to all of these places that you shop and just think, you know, I think it's impossible. You're never going to be Satoshi, right? And completely vanish from the internet, but you can definitely make yourself harder to follow and harder to find. And I wish I'd have taken that a lot more seriously up front and going forward, I'm going to be looking a lot more seriously at non-KYC options to buy the Bitcoin 
in the first place. So they're not perfect, right? And they're a little inconvenient compared to using a KYC exchange, but you know, there's RoboSats, there's BISC network, there are options, there's peer-to-peer, -peer, there's earning it, there's mining it. Um, all right, you might not be a competitive miner, but would you pay a premium for pristine virgin Bitcoin that, that that's never been touched by anyone else and has no no chain behind it? Maybe it's worth the premium. So yeah, just rethinking that that whole situation. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing is going to force force the world to become a bit more knowledgeable and responsible with regards to IT. You know, like this, this is technology. This is Bitcoin is technology. And a lot of folks are still not comfortable, you know, on a computer, let alone picking up good habits with regards to being safe online. Um, a lot of the things, a lot of the simple things, you know, that I still see all over the place are people just randomly and blindly connecting to Wi-Fi spots whenever they see them for the sake of being online. This must be the most suicidal move anyone can make because if you knew how easy it was to set up rogue access points that are named identical to commonly known Wi-Fi spots, you'd freak out. You'd, you'd never connect to anything outside your home. So that's how easy it is or when you know you have folks plugging in devices to charge them in public places like whether it's in airports whether it's on a plane whether it's, it's in taxi cabs you know i see this all the time and it blows my mind i'm like what are you doing they're like i'm charging my phone I'm like, but how do you know this is a safe port you know and then they go blank you see like things may seem normal and this is where the most elaborate attacks take place is by giving you the impression that everything, there's nothing special going on. And that's where you get screwed. You know, because if somebody's focusing on you specifically, knowing you own hypothetically, I don't know, 25 Bitcoin, then they would, if, if you're likely going to be a target of this person, this is somebody's going to study you from morning to night. They're going to know your patterns, your habits, where you go, how often you go there, and what's your routine. So putting things in your path you know, after having studied your morning itinerary at some point that you may not even think twice about, but that somehow knock information off of you, that's usually how these attacks happen because you're, you come home wondering, I didn't speak to anyone. I didn't do anything. What the hell happened? How could it possibly have taken place? But then if you think back, well, you know, I sat at a Starbucks and maybe I connected to a hotel Wi-Fi or maybe I did this or maybe I did that. Something like a very innocent move. But because you were targeted, the elements were put for you, ready for you to land and use. You know, like I, I remember we used to do this in university as, a, as an experiment. We set up rogue USB ports all over campus. And all day long, they were full, full. Like we had databases of, like if you knew what information we collected back in, back in school, you'd freak out. And when we made it known, people like panicked for about five, 10 minutes. And then half an hour later, they went back to plugging back into the same ports. Do you understand? Like <laughs> you, you have to get to a point where you snap out of your stupidity and you start taking certain things seriously because at some point your turn will come and you are going to get fucked somehow. So the idea is to prevent this, not to take action after you've gotten fucked. The idea is never to put yourself in that predicament to begin with. But yes, it involves learning new things. It involves developing better habits. You know, it's, it's, it's effort, proof of work. You have to do the work. You can't expect to miraculously be a cybersecurity expert knowing all the good habits that are out there if you don't listen to anyone or don't spend five minutes learning something new that, that that's, you know, benefits you. Bitcoin is going to change that, in my opinion, because now you have two choices. You either use government shit money that enslaves you or you have freedom money, which is Bitcoin. But if you're going to use the Bitcoin, the freedom money, you better know how to take care of it. Otherwise, you are absolutely going to lose it. So pick which, which, which direction do you want to go. And this is where 
like this camera is doing all these funny effects. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure how to turn this thing off. I thought I did, but it keeps coming back on. Um, so it forces you to be more responsible, you know, with, with with regards to your money initially. But at the same time, all the same habits that you're picking up to protect your money apply to anything about you online. So your your suggestions about using aliases for email, setting up private emails. Don't use your bloody name everywhere you you sign up. You know, you use something else. You know, like simple things. It doesn't even have to be complicated, and you don't have to do everything at once. Security is a is a journey. It's a progress. You take it step by step, so that you know it cements itself in your head, and eventually it'll become something common that you do. You know, and I genuinely believe. That this is this is what's going. Bitcoin is going to force people to adopt these habits. Unfortunately, though, I have a feeling it's going to come after most people get taught a very nasty lesson, because pain is often the best teacher. If you're not affected by it, you're not going to take it seriously. It's, ah, whatever. It's nothing. It won't happen to me until you wake up one day and it did, does happen to you, and then then you're then you're crying, and sometimes you come out of it, but a lot of times you don't, depending on how hard. That hit was the reason I reached out to you, Rick. Just that uh, I don't think I've ever told you this before, but the main reason mm -hmm. I reached out to you is because I was worried about you. Mm -hmm. I saw yeah. the destruction of of life savings being wiped out in in front of my eyes to an entire country. Mm -hmm. Okay, people don't usually come out of something like this. The rate of suicide and dark thoughts that I have witnessed. Yeah. Sometimes I wish I can unsee all of them, but I can't, mm -hmm. and it haunts me. So when I heard about your story, 25 Bitcoin, and how you were going on about it, my main concern, holy shit, man, I better call this guy before he does something he's going to regret. That's why I reached out to you primarily. Then finding out maybe something we can help about Bitcoin, that was secondary. I needed to make huh. sure you were in a proper mindset, headspace, not to do something stupid. Sure. I mean, the, you know, the good news and, and, and look, everyone, everyone uh, reacts differently to, to hardship in life. Right. I think I think weirdly holding Bitcoin for 10 years made me more resilient and maybe resilient enough to deal with this because, you know, every single bear market that everyone else, you know, has shit their pants on. Don't forget, I've been through sort of three of those and and seen, you know, okay, my paper net worth fluctuate a lot. I think that was almost like a bit of preparation for 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 this situation. And and the thing that keeps me strong is that like I actually I owe it to a lot of people around me. So, you know, my fiance, my parents, everything they've ever done for me throughout my life, you know, it's not acceptable for me to to take that easy way out and it's also not acceptable for me to become like a black hole of misery and doom because i'm only going to drag everyone else around me down with me so what i'd rather do is uh i don't know i'd like to make people proud of me because they think holy shit they just lost a million bucks and he still gets up every morning and and goes to bat you know i'd rather be that person than the former so that's what we're going to do it's 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 difficult and it's tough and you know i would also echo tony's uh what tony's saying right like if anyone out there is listening you know they might have experienced a hack and 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 just kept it quiet out of embarrassment or, or anything like that like if you find yourself in those shoes if you DM me and you want to jump on a call and have a chat for an hour or two, I, I, I'm I'm here to do that and help you with that. Um, even to the point like I don't I don't care like maybe you got hacked and lost all your Ethereum, right? I mean I'm a Bitcoin maxi, but at this point if you're really facing hardship and you're you're really low, let's just talk about it, right? Like I'm not going to be an asshole because that's not my kind of coin, but um, yeah, it, you know it, it, Tony's right, like. Whilst I might seem okay at the moment, and, I, and, I, and I'm confident I will be, there are people out there that when this happens to them, it's going to be too much of a heavy blow. And that's why, you know, this this is so important that we get this right. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's the, the sort of experience of finding out. And, and I think the most important point is that's how KYC contributed to our situation. And uh, 
man for, for how long how many decades have we been outsourcing our information for the benefit of convenience it's become so ingrained in our culture and our way of life that it's going to be hard for a lot of people to turn 360 on that um you know i've learned the hard way and now my eyes are open i'm like okay i never have an alexa in the house even my fridge might be listening to me um, you know, if I have a ring doorbell with a camera on it, if someone gets hold of that, they can see when I come in and when I leave my home, all these sorts of things. And you know what, if I'm just using Alexa to turn the lights off, I'm now at the mindset of I'd rather get off my lazy ass and just go to the light switch because I don't want all these attack surfaces uh, around me. Now, there might be people out there super talented with their privacy and, and their security that they can have those things because they can mitigate the concerns. But if you're not you know, a, a guy with 30 years cybersecurity experience, take some basic steps to, 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 you know, like Tony says, don't give out your email address everywhere. Don't give out your address everywhere. Use a PO box. There are things you can do that are non-technical just to get started that would, would seriously increase your protection, you know? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great point. And now we covered so sort of uh, the, the KVC part and uh, what happened next? Like you said, there were a lot of points where you could have lost it. And how did you actually, what happened in the, in the event? So what, what happened in the event is basically I'll, I'll take you through the setup, right? Because that'll help people understand a lot better. So it's funny, right? Because on Twitter, I had loads of... Um, I don't want to piss anyone off, right? But there's a lot of what I would call like sort of wannabe Bitcoin advisors out there, right? Who will give the advice that you have a hardware wallet and a steel plate and that's one and done and you don't need to think about anything else. So I was getting quite funny comments on Twitter going, oh, you're such an idiot. How do you not even know how to use a hardware wallet? Like that's some sort of silver bullet. What people need to understand is we did have and we do use hardware wallets. But of course, when you have a hardware wallet, it's just a signing device. So, you know, you also need to keep safe your recovery phrase, right? So if your hardware wallet breaks or you lose it, that you can get back access back to your Bitcoin. So ultimately, you always end up in the place where you have a critical piece of data and you need to keep it secure and you need to be able to, you know, reach it and, and keep it safe. So the the real story is around what did we do with those recovery phrases and what were the decisions we made well the first thing that that we did was we used a password manager now before everybody freaks out and thinks hang on that's just using a third party i should be specific and say that this is an open source and self-hosted password manager called keypass which is a really respected piece of software like really good uh really good piece of software uh and and through no fault of that software did we get hacked right but that's where we stored our our, our seed phrases now what's crucial to understand as well is that that keypass file was encrypted so it had a passphrase right and the passphrase only existed in our heads so it wasn't written down anywhere it wasn't stored digitally anywhere so you needed the password to access the file that had the 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 seed phrases in mistake number one that i should highlight there is that this file is living on uh my dad's daily driver laptop you know he uses it every day to do his tesco shopping and and all this other stuff uh, so re really silly to have uh, seed phrases even in an encrypted file on a laptop that's constantly connecting to the internet and interacting with loads of stuff. The next problem you have is obviously like, you know, we, we understood that having this file just on one device was also a risk because if the hard drive gets corrupted or he spills a, uh, some water on the laptop, who knows, if that file got corrupted, we, we'd, we'd lose access to the Bitcoin. So we wanted to make backups of it, understandably, right? Which leads us to mistake number two, which is this KeyPass file was then backed up to the cloud. So my dad's a, a developer who, uh, you know, he's, he's extremely tech savvy, right? And and he would re he regularly backs up his devices and takes, uh, what would he call them, like snapshots of his devices so that all his work is saved, he won't lose everything. So it, it kind of just ended up as part of his normal backup process, right? And this is where things went wrong. You know, essentially, the, the, the cloud storage where the file lived 
and the file itself are both encrypted. But the thing that tripped us up is that the passphrase used to encrypt those two things was laughably weak, like really, really bad. You know, it was about 11 characters long. Uh, it wasn't Bitcoin, as some people have guessed. <laughs> like the password wasn't Bitcoin. It wasn't that bad. It also wasn't the name of my dog or anything. But it was laughably short. It didn't have special characters. Uh, and what we realize now is it would have been pretty, pretty easy for someone capable to have brute forced this password. So what we think happened, and there's no guarantees, right? Uh, I can't prove any of this. This is kind of following the most likely chain of events, is that we think that, uh, you know, my dad's email address and details were leaked from Mt. Gox. Attackers are now aware that there's a honeypot of 25 Bitcoin that's worth chasing. His same email is connected to his cloud account, right? So now if you want to get into his cloud account, you've already got his email. The only missing piece is the password. As I've explained, the password's really rubbish, really weak. So, you know, I'm not an expert in any of this stuff, but from a bit of, you know, light Googling that I've been doing, you know, it could have been possible for some people to have brute forced this password in less than a day, as far as I understand it, right? And if it's 25 Bitcoin, you know, maybe if it took them a month, it's still worth trying to brute force that password. So uh, at the end of the day, it was a weak passphrase that let us down, that let them A, into the cloud storage, and then B, into the key pass file with the seeds in. And once they've got that far, that's it. They can start moving the Bitcoin around. So yeah you know obviously the lesson there is you know store your seed phrases online and um uh, offline sorry <laughs> store your seed phrases offline um you know the, the there are other potential theories right could there have been a keylogger on my dad's device that watched him type in the passphrase i I think that's highly unlikely. The reason I think that's highly unlikely is that whilst my dad's not a cybersecurity expert, he has been a developer for 50 years. He really does know his way around computers. I think it's extremely unlikely that he would ever fall for like a phishing scam or anything like that. Like he definitely knows better. So I really do think they came in through the cloud account. And I, I think it's likely that the password was brute force because it only lived in our heads. So it's either a keylogger or it's brute force. I think for a keylogger, they need malware or um, we, we ran malware scams or they'd need to have fished in, which I think is low probability. So that's our current best theory anyway. Um, just, just to chime in here, Rick, you, you mentioned all of this seemed to happen when you were in San Salvador, right? No. So we discovered that the Bitcoin was gone whilst we we're in San Salvador. Oh, but I see. Okay had actually taken place on September 12th. So unbeknownst to us, we had lost the Bitcoin a month before we even discovered that it was gone. Now, a lot of people find that kind of crazy, but again, to sort of help understand the context a little bit, you know, I would still use Bitcoin day to day using different wallets and stuff like that, like buying it, selling it, using it. Um, but this was our long, long, long-term stack. And it sat there for 10 years. You know, we don't check this thing every week. We're, we're not keeping <laughs> eyes on it. I mean, we should have had like a watch only wallet or, you know, there's things we could have done. But to help people understand how we could have lost that and not noticed for so long, simply because we weren't touching that. And I, and I genuinely mean this for probably another 20 years, at least, right? Like we, 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 we were not giving up this Bitcoin. Um, so, yeah, uh, unfortunately, I don't I don't think it has anything to do with us being in El Salvador at all. Okay. Yeah, well, it's, def it's definitely a plausible theory. I mean, there's many ways this, you know, many, many other possible roads this can go. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure you're aware of, um, you know, bad cables that you can potentially plug into your computer that, you know, seemingly do what they're supposed to do, but at the same time are infected with, you know, with remote web servers. Those are prevalent, mm -hmm. you know, a lot more than you know, people realize. And I know because you know, I've come across so many of them. It's, it's fascinating. Um, you, you buy a USB cable and you know, it looks exactly like the one you have. You plug it to charge your phone. Yes, it does charge your phone. But whatever you plug it into, it's like it's a full access to that device, you know, everything. And that's where key loggers usually hide, you know, when it comes to accessories of that sort. 
So that could be, I don't know, I'm not saying this is your case, but I mean, if you think back, you know, any, any detail, any small insignificant detail, you know, could potentially be a key to, to this puzzle. Because, you know, when you, when you work in cybersecurity, there's no such thing as, ah, it's, 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 it's too stupid of a theory. You know, everything is a possibility because that's where the most creative attacks usually come from is again, making it seem like as if nothing is wrong, but this is where, you know, these are the most dangerous types of situations to find yourself in. Yeah. And um, now, now that we got some some hints that what could have happened, uh, what uh, a lot of things the, for people listening that actually can be avoided, like not storing it online uh, and, and things like that. Like, what's sort of uh, the best setup for 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 people listening like self custody steel wallet do you have any recommendations in, in that regard well there's no best setup there's this theory of that i have the best setup is nonsense the best setup is what works best for you in the sense that you have to find a balance between you know the security but the usability at the same time uh, you know like you don't want to end up in a situation where you create something so complex like such a such a draconian maze that it locks you out of it or you, you forget your way you know in, a, in and out of that maze then that's even worse than losing your bitcoin because you're just staring at it on the screen knowing you can't access it anymore because of something that you've done so you don't want to be in a predicament you know some some good habits like you said Rick, none, none of them have to be technical for one keep your mouth shut don't advertise what you're doing you know don't advertise what you're doing don't advertise what you have don't brag you know like i mean if you want to bring unnecessary attention to you well well then you know you're going to live with the consequences of that moronic decision don't do it that's for starters that's not a technical thing that's just a common sense um uh, you know so solution Second, second of all, you know, be aware of everything and anything that you're doing online, like learn what it is that you're doing on that computer rather than just blindly click, 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 click all over the place. You know, when it comes to Bitcoin, there are a certain set of steps that you can take, you know, as sort of like foundational steps. Seed phrase, if you're not a technical person, the seed phrase, what 100% categorically needs to remain offline no matter what, that's for sure. You know, if you're somehow some sort of like an advanced IT expert that's religiously disciplined about how you do things and what you plug into your computer and you have eyes on this stuff 24-7, then yeah, maybe you can somehow get creative by saving it online. But that's not for everyone. It's definitely not something I would recommend anyone venture in unless you really know what you're doing. Uh, keep, you know, if you're using passphrases, they're recommended, use them, keep them in separate locations. Don't put everything in one place. But again, if you're going to be using geographic, you know, uh, displacements, make sure you have access to these places in cases of em emergencies. You know, so many times I've, I've come across folks where, you know, they've spread out their signing devices in like 17 different cities. But then when something goes wrong, they can't access any of them. You know, like th that's that, that that's also a problem that you need to think of. Or if there's somebody guarding, you know, those signing devices at some specific location, what if they stop talking to you for one for whatever reason someday? What do you do? And you have a problem again it's not a technical one but it's a big problem that gets in the way of you and your coins so all of these little details i mean these are these these are this is why there's no such thing as a perfect solution when we consult when i sit down and consult with someone i ask them like 700 questions just so that you know we can we can sort of assess the sweet spot between what they can do and what's actually you know secure at the same time and that's how we come up with a solution that's unique to each individual that nobody knows about. That's the key. There's no off-the-shelf solution here. So if anybody wants to attempt an attack vector on someone, they will fail because, you know, there's something about you that is different from the next person and the next person and what have you. This is how you, you, uh, you develop good cybersecurity, you know, habits. You know, being as close as possible to a ghost is, is the objective here. So... You know, there's, and again, it's a progression. You don't have to do this, you know, all in one shot. It's not scary. It's not overwhelming. It's very easy. You know, there are people out there that will explain it to you. We're, one, we're just one of them. There are many of resources that are free online if you don't want to consult with someone. But you need to sit down, do the work, pay attention, you know, take notes, study it, learn it. In the same way you learned how to drive a car, in the same way you learned how to do many things that you take for granted now, you get to sit down do the work to get to the result. And when it comes to protecting your money, 
it needs to be your number one priority, in my opinion, if you have any plans of living a free and dignified life for you and your family at any point in the future. Uh, that's a great way. Um, I think we covered the event now really good. We covered the pitfalls. We covered uh, what we can do uh, in case uh, someone wants to be safe. Um, Rick, is there anything before we wrap up the podcast you want to add? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, I think, you know, what I want to say is that, you know, I've been around for a long time in this space, so I've, I've watched most things play out. Um, you know, I, I'm not a galaxy brain uh, sort of shadowy super coder, but I've learned a few things along the way, right? So I want to give people a little more context, right? Bear in mind that I would say my dad is a, a very capable and technical person. You know, he's used all these programming languages. He's a developer. He's the kind of guy I've seen him take a, an air conditioning unit off the wall because it's broken. He takes it apart. He gets his soldering iron out and he fixes it himself. This is a guy who's very capable. However, he would also be the first to say that whilst he is a very good developer, he is not a cybersecurity specialist. This is a, a this is a niche specialism within computer science, right? And and he's quite capable. And we've used Bitcoin a lot over the years. You know, I've run lightning nodes, uh, you know, I've played with LN bits and LN URL withdrawal codes at meetups. Uh, I know how to use replace by fee. I've dabbled with coin joins. Um, but here's the reality is like that is not our specialist field. So a couple of things. Number one, when I was playing with coin joins and replaced by fee, I was doing it like it was a curiosity, like a bit of fun. I wasn't coming at it like, yo, I'm training for a boxing match and it's in three weeks and I, I need to get, you know, really good at this. This isn't just like a fun little game. And the second thing I'd say is, look, I, I don't think what I'm trying to, when I say that I think people should work with advisors on this stuff, what I'm not saying is to completely outsource the responsibility to someone else. What I think is a better way to think about this is that you still need to go on this journey because ultimately the buck stops with you. So, you know, you may work with Tony and he gets your security, you know, up to scratch, but what if Tony's not around? 15 years from now for you to talk to he's off doing something else right you ultimately it's always going to come back to you so when you work with an advisor the way you want to think of it is you know a lot of bitcoiners are very cagey right like i don't want to work with anyone else i can do this all myself but ask yourself this question do you have 30 years experience in cybersecurity? If the answer to that question is no, then appreciate you're going to have to get better at it. If you need to get better at it, you can go and you can study. There's loads of great tutorials. You could go to Bitcoin Sessions is one that I love. You know, um, you know that there's Armin on Twitter writes loads of great blogs. There's loads of great information out there and you can do it yourself. However, if I wanted to get really good at golf, right? I love playing golf. I get much better, much more quickly when I have a coach. Uh, if I wanted to learn uh, any skill, right? Look, look at what rich and successful people do. They hire in expertise where they have a gap and they fast forward their thinking. When, when Mark Zuckerberg decides he wants to be great at jujitsu, he didn't just go on YouTube. He hires in all the experts that he can afford. Um, you know, Think of it like that, like, you know, I'm not a plumber. So if my radiator falls off the wall, yeah, there's loads of plumbing videos on YouTube, but I call a plumber because he's got 25 years experience of fixing pipes and stuff. So there's no shame in saying, I'm not a cybersecurity expert, but I want to train. And because I'm training, I want a really good coach. It's like having a personal trainer. Um, and you want to do this quickly because if Bitcoin's about to 10x in price, it might be six months, might be six years from now, who knows, but I'm pretty confident it's going to continue to increase in value. Don't do what I did, right? Make this investment before you get hilariously rich, right? And I, I know how other Bitcoiners are thinking because I've felt it myself for 10 years. You think, ah, oh, yeah, but that costs money. And maybe I'll just wait until after the bull run because my money will 10x and then I'll get my security sorted. If I could go, if I had a time machine, Robin, I'm sure you can appreciate, I would go back 
uh, in time to before the hack and I'd ring Tony up and I'd say, Tony, listen, here's a blank check like this. This I, I'm not going through that again. Let's get it done. So everyone says the game is buy and hold. No, more than that. Buy, hold and train, train, train continuously as well, because part of the problem for us is that we never changed our setup over the 10 years if it ain't broke don't fix it we 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 stopped we didn't go far enough and over the next 10 years the technology will get better hardware wallets will get better new vulnerabilities will come out um you want someone in your corner that you can call up and that keeps you right uh so yeah for me it's a no-brainer um and that's why it's fun to to sort of go out there and and tony's given me a platform to sort of say look this is what happened to me and here's a sensible destination you could go and speak to tony and 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 avoid my fate you know yeah you know i'll i'll, I'll add one more thing here keep in mind that you know since this is technology and we already have like a myriad of problems online with regards to phishing scams and all this. But there's one element, you know, that everybody's aware of, but they don't seem to be connecting the dots with, and that's AI. You know, AI is not just this cool tech that everybody's going to be using, you know, to improve their lives and to clone themselves and to do all sorts of like heroic activities. AI is going to be used, you know, in attacks against people to steal from them. And the more sophisticated these, you know, these tools become, the less you are able to distinguish between something real and something fake. So if you already are like, like get suckered into something now, can you imagine how difficult it's going to be if you're not prepared when it becomes 10 times more elaborate to, to really distinguish between the two? Like these are all things, you know, like you need to think about, you need to be prepared for. There are solutions out there that protect you, that use AI for the, for the, for the side of good, not just for the side of bad, you know, so, so, so to maintain a balance. So you're not, you know, at the receiving end of all the negativity. You're, you're in a position where you have your defenses strong enough to protect against anything that can possibly come your way. There are solutions out there. We use them, we have them, we deploy them. They exist. You just need to want to sit down and learn about them because you're going to need them, hopefully, before you actually go through some, you know, life altering damage. You know, that's that, that's my hope. I, I really like that one hour session now with, with you guys. It I think it shines a light on how important it is to take it uh, in your hand, to take it seriously, to take uh, cybersecurity in general seriously, but also take self-custody and uh, securing your Bitcoin uh, uh, seriously. And I think a lot of Bitcoiners, as you said, Rick, they're thinking, oh, it's it's safe now. And uh, maybe now it's uh, my Bitcoin stack isn't, worth like maybe 10k and maybe uh, when it goes over 100k then i invest some money like i think a lot of bitcoiners actually think like that now and uh, it's better to invest in in in, in securing your bitcoin safely before <laughs> uh, it, it it happened and i think uh, this story and that's that's why i i was reaching out to you so quickly when i saw you also joined the bitcoin way um to, to tell this story and make it clear to everybody uh, that it's really important to um, take it seriously. Um, we are having an end routine at the, uh, at the Bitcoin podcast. We had a previous guest asked a, a question for the next guest. And uh, I made a small uh, alteration to that end routine. But, uh, but the first thing I want to ask, um, maybe the both of you, what innovations on top of the base layer uh, of Bitcoin are you looking forward to most layer two, layer three solutions? Like this is a question that came from the, the previous guest. I'm hoping to see more privacy on, uh, on, by default on Bitcoin, you know, something that's probably going to be developed layer two, layer, layer three, but has to be, you know, native, native to native to the system. Nothing that has people have to go out of their way to, to activate, to use, to, you know, to, to take advantage of, it needs to be, you know, inherent to whatever application, whatever system that, you know, is, is being used. That's what I'd like to see. So that people don't have to worry about it, and more importantly, don't have to be feel guilty that they're keeping their stuff private because they're somehow, you know, being uh, stereotyped as criminals 
because they decide to keep their private information to themselves. That that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I, I'd echo similar to that. I mean, the stuff that that really excites me. It's kind of funny, right? Because the attacker used coin joins and and mixing technology to to hide our funds and and abscond with them, right? So you might think that I would sit here and say I hate mixing and it's wrong and let's KYC everyone, but actually no those are the technologies that, that that excite me the most you know and and i want to give a big shout out again to samurai wallet and and ergo btc and those guys because you know i know i know i know on twitter they they seem quite prickly right and and they they're they're very um very forthright with their opinions right which is something i actually quite appreciate um but i know it might put some people off and i would just say like understand that i think these guys are fighting the good fight and and they do it they do it against immense pressure, right? Like all this chain analysis stuff. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who wouldn't want them to succeed. But if we don't, if we don't have privacy on Bitcoin, I, I see problems further down the road. And I think you know, it's those kind of guys that that are going to make the biggest difference. Um, and other like other than that, I think you know, I'm excited to see if if layer twos can get a little bit more robust. Uh, especially, you know, the high fee environment at the moment, you know, for me, I, I want to see a world where everyone can use Bitcoin and have access to it. But but I understand block space, you know, is limited. And hey, look, I, you know, I don't, I don't have any of the answers for this. But but I, I sincerely hope that that's something that we can solve to keep Bitcoin as accessible and, and permissionless as 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 we possibly can. Um, Maybe the layer twos can never be as decentralized as the layer ones, but can they be a huge improvement on on what fiat currency looks like? Yeah, probably. So, yeah, you know, I'd love to see those things take off, and and uh, I think those are, those are the things we need badly. Yeah. So I think it's also a really great way to end it and to 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 make the podcasts here. Um, uh... Where can people find you, Rick? Uh, uh, also, I think like Tony is on, on X. You are also mostly on Twitter X, however you want to call it, Rick. Yeah, so my handle is uh, at rmessit. Uh, so that's R-M-E-S-S-I-T-T. Uh, again, yes, that is my second name. And yes, I am a dummy for using that as uh, <laughs> as my handle. But, you know, I made that I made that 10 years ago. Uh, you know, what you might see from me in the future is that, like, I want to tell this story. I'm going to go on a journey now of, you know, getting start nine servers, privacy phones, learning this stuff properly because of the the wake up call. And I want to share that journey. So if, if you want to come along and see how far I get and see where I get stuck and stuff like that, then come and follow along. Uh, but in the fullness of time, when I get everything back together, I probably will recede into the shadows and become an anon pleb once again. Um, but yeah, you know, come and find me. If you and and again, I want to reiterate: if you're having a shit time, you've been hacked, or maybe you just lost your money trading, or you know, you're in a bad place, reach out. I had a I had a shit one recently. Maybe we can just have a chat about it, and I can convince you that. Uh, the world's still a beautiful place and you're still really early so you can still you can still free yourself uh so yeah and the bitcoin way is best findable on the bitcoinway.com yeah the bitcoinway.com or also on on twitter the bitcoinway underscore you know my handle is v4btc you know i'm very active there as well so anyone that wants to reach out you're more than welcome you know we offer free 30 minute consults to anyone and there's no obligation just to have a conversation to see where you're at, where you want to get to, and how we can, we can potentially help you. So anyone is welcome. Uh, so thank you, Tony, for sharing your expertise. Uh, thank you, Rick, for sharing your, your story. I really appreciate your time and uh, just love the, the session with you guys. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, thanks for the, thanks for the opportunity, Robin.